From beginning to end, the Bible is filled with call stories. The writers of the scriptures love to tell these tales, and we love to hear them. You know what I mean, right? There's Abraham and Sarah, told one day out of the blue that God wanted them to pull up stakes and head off into the unknown. Blessings are ahead. You just need to start walking. There's Moses chasing sheep off in the dusty hills one day when a burning bush had an otherworldly fire and a voice spoke with an astonishing command. There's Samuel asleep in the temple when a voice kept calling his name in the night. There's Isaiah drawn up into the heavens and touched with a coal burning with holy fire. There's Paul knocked from his horse and blinded with divine light. There's Mary faced with an angel and the invitation to birth God's own self into the world. These stories are all over scripture. It seems you are never too far in the Bible from some ordinary man or woman summoned into extraordinary tasks, forming a new nation, or freeing an enslaved people, or speaking hard, truthful words to arrogant kings, or bringing the gospel to far-off places. These sorts of stories are favorites in Scripture. They're stories we tell our children and revisit in worship and learn by heart, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. They're entertaining, they're exciting, they're often magical, and maybe most of all, they speak to the importance of individual lives and what God can accomplish through ordinary people, like you or me. Moses was just a shepherd with a very checkered history. And look what God did with him, we say. Look at this surprising God we have. The possibilities are endless. There are lots of reasons to love the call stories of the Bible, but there is just one problem. They are so darn dramatic. I mean, yes, that's part of what's so wonderful about them, all those angels and seraphim and blinding lights and voices that you could not possibly miss, but it can also make them a little bit hard to relate to, right? If you're like me, you probably can't point to a moment when you were whisked up into the heavens and branded with a live coal, or when an angel bright wings and all showed up unannounced at your breakfast table. These stories are wonderful, but they can leave us with the impression that God only calls people in earth-shaking, dramatic ways. Like, if you haven't been knocked off your horse yet, well, then God isn't calling you. Thankfully, peppered in among all those well-known pyrotechnic-filled stories are scores and scores of much more humble ones, with no fireworks, no laser light shows, they are easy to miss, but when you start looking, you can see them everywhere. Stories of ordinary people summoned to be part of God's work in the world in all sorts of ways. And we have one of them in front of us this morning. There is a drought in the land, but this is no ordinary drought. King Ahab had strayed from leading his people in faithful ways, and one day a crusty grouch of a prophet showed up at his doorstep with these words. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah proclaimed this drought as a way to get the king's attention. 
as a consequence of his unfaithfulness as a leader. And then Elijah quickly left town, which is a smart move for a prophet, speaking hard words to a violent king. And God had a plan to take care of him. I've got a wadi all picked out for you, God told Elijah. Go there and you'll find plenty of water and ravens who will feed you day and night. So not having a whole lot of options, Elijah spent his days in the wadi. Months, maybe years, the Bible doesn't say, as the rains ceased and the ground grew dry and brittle. He drank water from the stream and ate raven food, whatever that is, until finally the water there dried up too. The drought has lasted a long time now and the situation is getting desperate. It's here that our reading begins, right at the point where Elijah is given a new command by God. And wow, is it a strange one. Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I've commanded a widow there to feed you. It's easy to miss, but there are at least two ways in which God's idea here is quite strange the place, and the person. Zarephath was located to the north of Israel, beyond the boundaries of Elijah's home country. The people there were not of his community or his culture or his religion. They weren't the sorts of people a Hebrew prophet on the run would probably find a particularly warm welcome from. So Zarephath is a strange place to be sent, but just as strange is the person that Elijah's told to look for there. It's a widow who will help you, God says. Widows show up plenty in scripture, but they're typically brought up as examples of the vulnerable and powerless, the sorts of people others should be taking care of. Widows and orphans were those truly left outside the structures of support and care in this time and culture. With no family to lean on, they were the ones in the most precarious of situations. So in the middle of this extended drought, where food and water are scarce and the situation is becoming desperate, God's big idea is to send Elijah not to the well-off mayor of a middle-sized town or to a wealthy landowner with resources all stored up, but to a widow? To someone who even in good times probably had little or nothing to spare? It is a strange idea to say the least. But again, not having a whole lot of options, Elijah does what God says, and off he goes to Zarephath. Now, here's where things get really interesting. Because remember, God told Elijah, this plan was all worked out. I have commanded a widow in Zarephath to feed you, God said. But when Elijah actually shows up and meets her, she and God don't seem to have spoken yet. You notice that? When this wild-eyed stranger who looks and smells like he's been living by a river and hanging out with birds for a couple of years asks her for some bread, she doesn't say, oh right, God told me you'd be coming. Here you go. She says something a whole lot closer to, excuse me, but who do you think you are? Can't you see the situation here is desperate? I have nothing left, just enough for a last meal for my son and me. I'm sorry, but you are going to have to fend for yourself. There are no fireworks here in Zarephath, no voices from the sky. But I think this is a call story, the story of this woman being drawn into God's design, God's sacred work right there around her, 
Instead of an angel, she is simply faced with this out-of-town stranger, and instead of blinding light, she's simply met with a request for bread. But it is no less holy, no less important, no less a call in that moment. I've commanded her, God said. I have her in mind for this task. Maybe that's how God's commanding, God's calling, works much of the time. Without a booming voice from the heavens, just a need in front of us, just the voice of another person, just someone asking us to offer our time or our ear or our money or our skills, just someone saying in one way or another, can you help? We all have excuses, of course, any number of reasons why it isn't possible right now. I'm too busy. There isn't enough to go around. I don't know how that would fit into my life. I don't know how I can possibly be of help there. And sometimes no is the right answer. Sometimes it is the right thing to say. But if this story tells us anything at all, it's that God has a calling for us even when we feel we have nothing to offer. Even when it looks like our hands are empty. The widow looked at this wild-eyed man with his counsel not to be afraid and his promise that the little she had would be enough if she would only offer it. And she did offer what she had. And in God's hands, it was enough. We are marking the feast of all saints today. And sometimes we think of this as a day for remembering sort of the heroes of the faith, the people who did truly extraordinary things in serving Christ. And that's right. But, of course, it's not only a day for them. It's also a day to honor all of those people who, in big ways and small, visible and invisible, said yes to God's calling in their lives, who, by loving God and their neighbors, helped to point the way for each of us. They may not have been visited by angels, but when God called to them in the lives of others, in the lives of those around them, they said yes. They opened their hands and their hearts, offering what they had. So while we sing this next hymn, you are invited to come forward if you wish and light a candle in memory of one or more of those saints close to your heart, recalling their witness, the ways they reflected God's grace to you. If you're joining from home today, you might light a candle where you are. We are going to let those lights burn bright this morning, reminding us of the many ways that God calls us, the many ways we are invited into God's sacred work right where we are, and the many opportunities we have even today to say yes. Thanks be to God. Amen.